to the start of another week. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, you can do it. We believe in you. Push through. Push through. We're going to help you out. 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Simple Contacts and Robinhood. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is always released the same day he's announced, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, audience. You got it. One more rep. You got Push it up. Push it up. Okay, let's turn this run into a fart lick. You can do it. Two minutes on, one minute off. Just pick up the pace just a little bit. Breathe for recovery. You got it. Keep pressing. Keep pressing. Keep pressing. Good job. Good job. That is uh, motivational unless you are unaware of what a fartlek is because then it's just weird. But that's what makes it fun, though. That's why every high school cross-country runner has a shirt that says, Fartlek, it's a running thing. It's like <laughs> every kid got a Gamecocks hat because <laughs> right. we're all idiots. You know, like no one was going to go to, was that South Carolina? But the hat said Cox on it, and it was like, <laughs> and we all bought it, you know? Yeah. That's that's why many of us run was just so that we could uh, say we're going to do fart licks. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh boy. On that note, we got we got we got a show for you, folks. We got stuff to talk about. We got games. It is it is huge February. You know how February is is always been a huge month for video games as far back as you can remember. Yeah, well, it's still the case. Uh, February is a massive video game month, and it's it, the hits just keep on coming. The good news is. We got a great guest to do this show with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, once again, DLC stands for Diversions and Labors Combined. Because from Gamers with Jobs and the Gamers with Jobs conference call podcast, as well as a lot of other stuff lately, it's Mr. Sean Andrich is back with us, one of my favorite people. And I should say, Sean, welcome, but also Huge props to Sean because he jumped in at the last minute. We had another guest booked and she was snowed in and could not even get to a microphone. So, Sean, thank you for being here. I'm excited to talk to you. Boo, I'm other really, guest. Yeah. Uh, boo. Uh, no, I get snowed in. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in the middle of Canada. Snowed in is just, that's Tuesday for us. <laughs> We're always snowed in perpetually. There's not no joke about four feet of snow outside my front door right now. And I live in the middle of the city. That explains um, how you're able to game so much with a job. You just never go to your job. That's right. You just don't leave the house and everybody gets it. Um, yeah, I did like 100 push-ups during that intro. You guys are like really pushing the the exercise thing now. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped up. I might yeah. I might actually start exercising again at some point. It's uh we're one of the few podcasts that delivers you news and guilt. So uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of our it's kind of our niche. We found a, we found a niche for ourselves. Um all right, we got we got lots to get to, guys. Big week, and let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out there talking about the show, talking about video games. I encourage you to give it a visit. Sean, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Um, it's a really tight race, uh, but I'm going to go with Activision Blizzard expected to lay off hundreds. Um, not necessarily because I think it matters a whole lot to the folks who end up playing Blizzard products and stuff, but Activision Blizzard is just such an interesting case in the game industry and, and Blizzard in particular, up until now, there's always been this feeling that Blizzard is untouchable. Like Activision bought this this golden goose and they put them in this beautiful room and locked the door and like, just do your magic. Like, we'll never bother you. <laughs> right. You know, like, please just, you know, and all of a sudden where there's lots of rumblings now, um, Activision feels a little spooked uh, because they've now uh, their relationship with uh, the uh, Destiny uh creators uh, Bungie is now split so they don't have that tent pole anymore uh, and then there's also along with that Blizzard's been starting to do things that are a little bit unblizzard like they stepped back from Heroes of the Storm from the esports community there they've really backed off they've put out a very fuzzy public letter saying yeah we're like we're just we just want to take a break from Heroes of the Storm, like we're good, we're still we're still here. We're gonna keep some people, make some new characters. We're gonna be tweaking stuff. It's a mutual just, breakup. Like it wasn't yeah. me, it wasn't you. It's you just know? like we're cool, but you know, like they're just gonna. I, I you do get the feeling like Blizzard is just gonna ghost Heroes of the Storm in about a year, uh, maybe pun intended there. Um, maybe less, yeah, yeah, so, or less. Uh, so it's it's interesting. Then now we have these rumbles of. Uh, there's going to be hundreds of people laid off at uh, Blizzard, which sounds like a big, scary number. You need to remember, Blizzard employs a, a lot of people. Uh, they've got, uh, they're just between World of Warcraft and all the other things they do, they they employ a lot of people. And although the the headline is very juicy, upcoming layoffs, hundreds of people, near the end, Jay Schreier mentions on Kotaku, Eh, mostly like accounting and PR and like, we don't actually know if that's the case, but there's also like a lot of like, it's a lot of infrastructure people that they may be laying off, which suggests that Activision is going to be taking on more of that. And yeah. if you're, if I was like, like, so let's just go into like fantasy land now where I pretend I have any information about this beyond what's been reported. Activision has just stopped working with Bungie. Activision was providing a lot of infrastructure for Bungie while Bungie was just working on developing the game. So Activision was doing like marketing and sales and all that stuff we don't really think about when it comes to managing these games and services now. So Bungie leaves. It kind of makes sense for Activision to pivot and say, well, we have all this staff internally. Blizzard, just focus on your core competency and we'll take on that stuff like we had been for Bungie anyway. Uh, so you could kind of look at it that way, but n no matter how you slice it, hundreds of people is a big shakeup. Yes, I think you did a great job um, giving an overview of this topic. It, it, it's It's got a lot of tendrils, right? We, we've seen a lot in the, the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, just story after story after story coming out of Activision Blizzard that just seems... Uh, to point to chaos and, uh, you know, worrisome for fans of their games. And you summarized many of them. Another I'd add is that there's been several different uh, CFOs, I guess, that have, that have, it's like a revolving door of the top people there. Um, it, there are, 
it, it's not it doesn't seem like the most stable place right now and you kind of wonder why as you said blizzard has been viewed as the golden goose and it doesn't seem like anything has changed like wow came out with a big expansion that sold better than any expansion or faster i should say faster than any expansion before it um sure that that game has kind of declined from its peak but it's still i think bringing in the cash and overwatch seems to be doing well hearthstone seems to be doing well you wonder why there seems to be this sense of panic that's permeating uh i think you might have said it jeff wow no well all of the in call of duty black ops 4 was a best-selling game blah 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 but if it's not going up it's time to panic. Activision <laughs> Blizzard is not the type of company, I imagine, that looks at their revenues and is like, amazing, we've had four years of flat revenue. Let's keep doing what we're doing. I imagine, I, I haven't looked at their earnings. I don't know. This is all speculative on my part. But if the earnings are not hitting their projected um, you know, increases or, or hitting market expectations, they're not making more money than they made last year. You know, If it's not growing, it's dying. And I think they they are seeing themselves as potentially outside of the current market for how games are made, monetized, and distributed now. Where uh, you look at a game we'll talk about later, Apex Legends, and how it the, the free to play Fortnite style thing. And while Black Ops certainly sold well and has microtransactions baked into it, and the WoW expansion sold well and requires a subscription to keep playing it it feels as if the market is maybe shifting and i wonder how nimble activision feels to be able to capture that where whether it was luck or happenstance epic seems to have found themselves in the perfect position to capitalize on the current state of the video game industry between their engine their wildly successful game and their storefront where they're now kind of creating revenue from all three spaces around video games, making them uh, a game they made themselves and then selling them. And Activision currently really only has the traditional model that they've been following now for however old wow is right. Selling retail uh, games and then having one wildly popular subscription based MMO and I think, well, I mean, I think Hearthstone is an example of, of something that's not that, right? Great, it's a great digital, point. Yes, digital yes. only game that's has frequent updates and lots of microtransactions, and you know, that's it's a, a very different point. business model. And, yeah. and and you could argue Battle.net, uh, such as it is, um, is their own distribution platform. They okay, have brought some of their bigger yeah. stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, it's it is I, I I did some digging into this because I something was kind of just kind of poking the back of my mind when I was reading through the news there. So when you look at Blizzard in their role as the golden goose and like this just amazing company, right? They launched Diablo 2 in 2000. They launched Warcraft 3 in 2002. Then they launched World of Warcraft in 2004. Um, And a pretty good run. (laughs) That's a good run. That's a really big burst of like incredible stuff, especially WoW. So that was 2004 when they launched World of Warcraft. Activision became Activision Blizzard when they bought Vivendi in 2007, 2008. So WoW had been launched for a few years. It was doing gangbusters. And then Activision came in and just like, sweet, this thing is massively profitable. We're going to give you tons of money. We're going to give you tons of stock options. We're going to buy you guys. And you guys are so huge. 
we're going to call rename ourselves Activision Blizzard because we because that's how big you guys are. And they did that. And then maybe a couple years later, Starcraft II, Wings of Liberty came out. Two years after that, Diablo three. Two years after that, Hearthstone. A year after that, Heroes of the Storm. Man, we're just pumping them out, guys. A year after that, Overwatch. And that was in 2016. And we just launched a mobile Diablo game late 2018. So all of a sudden, there's this stumble. And mm. all of a sudden, like the next Diablo hasn't been announced. Everybody's waiting for that. They've announced they're going to do like a Warcraft 3 remaster. Because why not? And if I was Activision, I would be kind of sitting back and going, huh, like World of Warcraft isn't isn't going to generate money the way it has been forever. And it's like, what's okay, guys, what's next? And then Mike Morhaime left, leaves. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, it's just kind of like, there's a lot of talk about like Blizzard's thing is like, we'll work on something for years. And if after two years, it's not working, we'll just toss it out and start over or just leave it in the dust. And that is a, that might work in the honeymoon period after Activision has just bought you. Not so much now that we're uh, basically, are we a decade into it at this point? Yeah, we're pretty yeah. much a decade in. So it, it does hmm. kind of feel like, you know, and, and from an end user, like as a user, as a player of Blizzard games, I'm looking at this list. I'm like, I liked Overwatch quite a bit. Diablo 3 was pretty good. It was a rough launch, but it was pretty good. Um, but it's it's been a while. Like, it does feel like it's been a while. So I can kind of see why a lot of different people would be feeling a little bit nervous about all this. That's interesting. You're saying, where's that next hit? We need that hit. We, we need, we're smacking our arms. We need well, that hit. Well, not even like, where, where's the next like recurring revenue hit, I think is mm. probably the biggest question. Because yeah. you can ride WoW for quite a while. But I mean, that's that does have a shelf life at this point. I, wonder, I would assume that Hearthstone's making lots of money. And I would assume that Overwatch is making lots of money. I wonder what Overwatch's revenue slash burden is in terms of the overwatch league and they purchased what uh sports network um it, not esport esl or one of those right yeah. to kind of host it and run it the mlb ish one yeah which I, yeah. I honestly forget um yeah and like building those stadiums for all i know that's just name only they don't have spaces everywhere yet but i'm curious you know what type of revenue when crafts bought into that um that's providing for them i wonder if that's a net gain or a net loss because it seems like with season two just about to start i'm not sure if the overwatch esport has become the thing people maybe imagined it to be when it kind of launched because it launched pre battle royale right like the idea was maybe there um but it wasn't the behemoth that it is now and i wonder if overwatch feels old and and it's not as exciting as it once was well, there are two other points that are sort of tangentially related to this. Um, Sean, and they're, they're both of them are, are very personal to me. <laughs> um, so I want to, I don't want to go by this story without bringing them up. Uh, Sean mentioned one of them and that is Heroes of the Storm. And I, I just sort of, sort of say anecdotally this week, last week slash this week was the first time, even amidst all of the, the, you know, the, um, Jay Allen Brack letter that he sent saying, you know, we're cutting esports and we're cutting the stat, the team and everything. Even through all of that, I was like, I, I don't care. I, I was never a huge esports watcher. I watched some of it. I, I'm sad to see Heroes of the Dorm go away and some of those cool events. Yes, I was saddened by it, but I still love the game and I play it every day. And, you know, it wasn't, it didn't really hit home. I was still getting games. The queue times weren't long. I was still having a great time. 
But this week slash last week was the first time that I was sort of like genuinely feeling like, am I, have I invested hmm. literally years of my life, lots of money, effort, training? I mean, I got a coach for that game. Like I, I wanted to get good at it and I invested a lot of time and energy and I have all these skins and I have all this, you know, all of this digital paraphernalia that I've acquired that's in this game. Is it, is it really dying? I mean, everyone's saying dead game, dead game, right? And I'm still finding games and it's still lots of fun. I still play it every single day. But with the announcement that uh, Kevin Johnson le was leaving the team, he's the sort of face slash voice of the, of the game. He's the guy that produced all the videos introducing new heroes when they introduce new heroes. And really cool guy, really nice guy. I've met him a few times. Uh, moving on to another team felt like, oh, they don't have any need for video promotion on this game anymore. There's not going to introduce new heroes anymore to this game. Is that what they're saying is that this guy is no longer necessary. This guy who literally was the PR guy. It's very, it was, it was one of those things like, Oh, this game really, they really are just letting it die. And I hope that's not the case. I know there's been patches. There was a patch this week. They're talking about, there's new skins announced this week. They're talking about, um, you know, changing the way the monetary system works in the game. A lot, a lot of cool things. But you see news like this of like, you know, layoffs and movement. And it's like, it kind of leads me to the broader question of we fall in love with games. We commit to games. And these games as service, these games as culture, these games as infinite you know, um, your, your, we talk about your, the games you're married to and the games you're dating, you know, the games you get married to, and then they just stop making them. What is that like? It's the first time that I've sort of felt that sting. Yeah. And it's I, hard. I think it's the thing that has existed outside of games as well. I think it's maybe more prevalent or written about now because of the digital nature of so many games. But, you know, people, you see it when people burn someone's jersey when they're traded or when they leave right. or when LeBron yeah. took his talents to South Beach or when Marvel decided we don't have the film rights for the Fantastic Four and they quit making comics of my favorite group of superheroes for five years or whatever that was, or when they killed Wolverine for two years and you're just like, ouch. <laughs> and like it, it, and if you are that type of collector, fantastic four comics, some of them went up in value, but a lot of them dipped because Marvel at the time was like, no, we, we don't, we're done with them. Um, and so when sports teams, the uh, teams literally move, look at Seattle Sonics fans, right? Yeah, like yeah. it's rough. The Oilers, when they left Houston, I remember that vividly. Um, yeah, and I don't think the comic kind of book everywhere. analogy is the comic book analogy doesn't work quite as well because it's not like you will ever be able to stop enjoying those comics. It's like if you had digital comics and then all of a sudden you couldn't log into that app anymore and read them. I think Maybe. that would be, you know, that would be the more of the sting. I that's the thing I'm, I'm worried about is that will there be a day when I just I can't play, let alone won't want to. It's can't probably, you know? yeah, probably like uh, it, it. There's I think there is an element to this, like. Activision, when everybody was kind of shocked with Activision and Bungie uh, ending their deal, I think it's like maybe a year earlier than their contract actually stipulated. Um, everybody's like, oh, my God, Bungie's free and Activision. Oh, what's going on? Ah, and it's just like, guys, like Activision cuts bait all the time. Like this, they did the same with like um, 
Guitar Hero. They've done the same with so many products. They did the same with like when the Infinity War team had the big, they're like, whatever, we got like three other developers to make this thing. We're fine. Like Activision has no problem if something is a little bit profitable to be like, nah, I think we're just good with that. Um, but there's a PR thing when it's an online only game. I think if there's a plant in my house that I wasn't super excited about anymore, I just don't think I'd water it as much. And it would <laughs> yeah. just kind of die naturally. Like, I hate to say <laughs> right. it, but at right. some point you're just going to be looking for games. You're like, huh, every time I log into Heroes of the Storm and I go to find a match, like, there's just, I just can't, it takes like a few extra minutes. Yeah. Like, matches aren't as good. And like, and then eventually, like, they'll just kind of come out and say, ah, you know, like, our just user counts are down. Like, you know, what are you going to do? The leaves are wilting. You know, it's brown. It smells weird now. Like, we're just going to toss it. You know, we well, got I feel like that's what that's what they already. It, it feels like they didn't just stop watering the plant. They they sent a press release saying we're going to stop watering the plant. <laughs> yeah, without saying <laughs> you know? they they said it without saying it, and and so like it's all just sort of we're we're in a really shaky time. Like we're the game industry is always a little bit shaky. That's part of what makes it exciting. That's why you can do a podcast every week about it. Yeah. Um, you know, but like. We'll probably talk about this when we're talking about some of the games we're playing and looking at like the Division Two and stuff. But the the current model, more than ever, like it used to be, just kind of MMOs, MMORPGs that were kind of like this. But the current model, more than ever, is we're gonna we're gonna spend invest so much money on an edifice on developing this massive structure, and we're gonna hope to God that once it actually launches, <laughs> there's enough people there. That and, and our pipeline, the way we develop things is smooth enough and needs as few people at the controls as possible that it's going to be profitable for a long time and we can just keep plunking out content for it. Like one of the things with Destiny and with Destiny 2, one of the back end stories with this Activision uh, Bungie split up was... Yeah, you know, like the content pipeline sucks on this engine. Like we can't like get a good stream. Like it's hard to like add new things to this. It takes forever. Like we're not as nimble as we want to be when you do compare it to something like Fortnite that's like super nimble and like really fast. Yeah. Um, and so like there's like, like when you're looking at Blizzard and you're thinking about like, like when I think about going into saying sitting down in a boardroom and saying we're going to develop diablo 4 and everybody's like yeah and then they're looking at the market they're they're developing diablo 4 into even compared to diablo 3 then what you have to be able to do an expansion once a year ain't going to cut it anymore guys so you don't just have to develop a really cool diablo game you have to develop a really cool diablo game and engine that has all of these that's really easy to add new parts and change parts without forcing everybody to repatch the entire game every time. Like there's so many things that go into that. It's like a really scary time. Like we'll talk about yeah. it. Apex is like that home run in, in a world where like, like it is scary to be launching games right now into a market yeah. where everybody wants your attention all the time. So and, and you saw, you know, this week also we saw the roadmap for um, Anthem. They released the roadmap for Anthem and it's like, that is what game development is now is there's a major update to Anthem coming in March. The game releases late February and there's yeah, a, like, you better it, have that major March update, right? It's other crazy. games come out in March. Division right. two launches in March. It's a wild thing now that that is yeah. required. This like every month or every couple of months, there's got to be a major thing. We got to retain, retain, retain. Well, and, and, and you're right. And it's an, it, your yeah. sunk investment into the pro into the game is so large that if it doesn't like ramp up quickly, like watch Fallout seventy six really closely. Yeah. 
yeah. really closely because that is going to be a really good indicator of of where the where the how these games are coming out and how they're being dealt with by publishers and developers because you've got so much money sunk into it at some point it's it makes a lot more sense to just write it off and move on than to try and like you know, like do the Ubisoft thing and like reboot it and be like, it's going to be great in a year. I promise. <laughs> like it's, well, you know, it's, also it's I, really I, tough. I think that's absolutely the case, but you know, uh, Kyle and Garrett on, um, into the Nexus, the here's the storm podcast that I guessed on once a month, they made an interesting point saying that if, you, if, if you handed here's of the storm to some indie developer, they would be thrilled with the community, right? There's, there's levels of scale and it's not like, Heroes of the Storm, for example, I'm just using it as an example because it's a game I love, but I think it applies to this level of scale, right? Is the Activision level of scale, the Bethesda level of scale. There there are ways to make these games that you've already developed, they're already out there. There's ways to make them have a long tail and you know sustain a relatively small team. Look at Path of Exile, for example, you know? I'm sure if that was Diablo four and it was a blizzard, it would be a completely different beast, but because they can be small and nimble and they can feed a very dedicated, but relatively small audience and be sustainable and last for years and years and years and be a beloved game among a very small subset of players. You could just, you know, you could imagine here's of the storm being a game that a lot of developers would love to have with its audience. It's not the audience of league of legends. It's not the audience of Dota two. It's not the audience of, Fortnite, but that's the thing that an Activision wants, right? They're they're not satisfied with those little blips that self-sustain for long times. And and like you said, they're willing to just cut the head off the beast and move on. Yeah. And I think that's true of a lot of large companies. There's two last little points here. One is is this, where Jeff, we talked about this last year when like Solo came out. This is a film and Disney, you know, there were quotes that it didn't live up to expectations and this, that and the other. But yet I also believe it was Ron Howard's highest grossing film ever, right? Or like oh, biggest opener ever. It was number one at the box office for whatever it was, three weeks, made more than 90% of every movie that came out. Its profitability was better than I'm making up numbers, but like 70% of movies that came out that year and all these things that if any other studio had put it out, it would have that it would have been their tent pole like we're doing it. And to Disney, it was like, yeah, you know, sometimes you only hit a double. Right. <laughs> and yeah. it's, like a, it's like a disappointment. And that's just your scale and, and what you want it to be. And then to your point, Jeff, about investing, you spent money on this thing. Um, I think it's a really wise thing to think about, but the games are built so that you don't think about it this way, that anytime you spend money on a digital item in a game, asking yourself, Am I going to enjoy this now? And is it worth it now? I know the game promises you this long life and all this stuff, and you're going to keep building and doing all these things. But if you're not going to enjoy the thing you're purchasing now and feel like it's worth it now, I think you set yourself up to be very disappointed if the next day it goes away or a month it goes away. And it's hard because those digital items are usually priced relatively cheaply and it's kind of an impulse buy. But I think we as gamers can do ourselves a a service by just remembering how temporary it is and really taking that into account when you make those purchasing decisions. I think both can be true. I think, I mean, I did enjoy it now. And in fact, the only reason I'm, I would be sad to see it go away is because I could continue to enjoy it in future nows. You know, (laughs) if I didn't care about it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care if it went away, but it's like, no, I dig that skin on that character. And the idea that I would never see it again is, is a bummer. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway. Yeah. And the, the other only other point that I would bring up, which we don't really have time to go into, uh, is that this has all, again sparked a conversation that I feel is important and have we've talked about on the show a lot of times about unionization and I think the need for it in this uh, this field, this uh, this industry. Uh, and I and people you know posted the salaries of the top people, uh, uh, you know, and, and compared to all the people that are being laid off, hundreds of people being laid off, but. Um, you know, for example, where is it here? Uh, uh, Bobby Kotick made $28.6 million in 2017. You know, it's, yeah, it's a whole other topic, but I think, um, one that this again reinforces. So, all right. Um, Christian, what is your story of the week? We talked about it mere hours before it went live last week with Tim and it's gotta be apex legends, which we'll talk about more, uh, in the playlist as well, but the game came out. Uh, it came out, out. It didn't come out in early access. It didn't come out in beta on PC only. It didn't come out as a demo on Xbox or PlayStation 4 only. It came out on Xbox, PlayStation 4, PC simultaneously, largely server issue free, launched to 10 million downloads. I think it was a million downloads in like two hours or something like that. Over a million unique concurrent users, top Twitch spot, which I believe it currently still has. Mm-hmm. It came out on Monday, free to play. It's this Titanfall universe game with no Titans, but with heroes. Um, this game did the impossible, I it think. Did. Yeah. And it, uh, we'll talk about it later, but I think deservedly so. But the story I think needs to be, for me, the story of the week, are the amount of downloads and and. Uh, players it got so quickly and the complete nature of its launch and the stability of its launch and all of those things i'm not wearing a hat tonight uh but man hats off respawn incredible job that's how hats off you are is that you didn't even wear wear it yeah i didn't even even put it on you were so hats read the news (laughs) it just blew like you can't keep a hat on your head it just blows right (laughs) off again yeah this is um uh, again, we we will talk about the game in the in the playlist. So fret not, and I don't even, I don't even think that that you even need to talk about the game itself because there's something else at play here, right? Because like you said, Christian, this is the dream, and it it dovetails nicely in what we were just talking about with the way all of these companies want this. They want this. They want the game that it, it's crazy how we go. Oh, PUBG, PUBG, nothing can dethrone PUBG. It's this behemoth juggernaut thing and then epic's like well we put out this game it's kind of a wave shooter and and we're gonna we're gonna mod it to be a battle royale and it takes over the world and everyone plays fortnite and then it's like oh god fortnite's the behemoth nothing can take down fortnite it's impossible it's gonna go on forever and it's like no this little game that we didn't even advertise we didn't even talk about there was no e3 presentation there was no two years of teasing it just came out and it dethroned the king Sean, how, 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 um, you know, I think there's, I think there's a lot. I think, I think there's a, a magical little bit of timing in that. Like Fortnite's been on the top of the hill for a while now. Like I'm looking at just, uh, looking at Twitch, uh, as we're recording this 317,000 viewers on apex and 147,000 on Fortnite, and 83,000 on just chatting, which I guess is just people talking to just like we're doing. That's um, all uh, that's everybody listening to us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Everybody. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so nervous right now. Um, so it, it's, it's really interesting. There, there's a couple interesting things about it. A, just how um, 
there's always like this talk about how do we make our game viral or how do we make a viral clip or how do we make a viral this or that? And I, I, I kind of have a feeling that Respawn was given a very minimal marketing budget or they were or like, EA was like, eh, we know about this one, guys, a lot of battle Royale games out there. I don't know, figure it out. And they're like, all right, we're going to fly in some streamers, get people to play it a week early. And then we're going to launch it and just, and go for like a big splash rather than like a big two, three month E3 preview lead up thing. Like, I think that in particular, this battle Royale genre is really fast and really loose. Like the gameplay is kind of fast and loose in its way. It's wacky. A lot of weird stuff happens. It's very emergent. I think launching a game with a similar style makes a big difference. And then the other thing is Fortnite came around pretty quick. PUBG, even now, like PUBG does never felt totally polished. It feels like PUBG had jank like right from the get-go and it's always felt a little janky and weird. So when you have a company like Respawn come in and Respawn, their games feel so good. Like you cannot overstate how good their games feel. And so, and they came out not like, okay, we're going to do a beta and we're going to kind of dip our toes in. It's like, no, they came out with like, with characters, with personalities and powers. They took really great parts of Overwatch. They threw it into a Battle Royale sort of feeling. They did a lot of smart tweaks, a lot of really great iterations on the genre. Like when, when things are really still like, it's, it's like, I've always kind of said, PUBG felt like EverQuest and then Fortnite felt a little bit like World of Warcraft, but not quite because Fortnite also had the whole building thing, which kind of almost makes it its own thing this feels like a direct response to PUBG. Like this feels like the Blizzard stepping into the PUBG world is what it feels like to me. And I think that the the market when there's a really popular genre is always ripe for someone to come in to streamline, simplify, make it more colorful, make it more fun and execute it really well and do it in a fun, interesting way that gets a lot of people talking quickly. Like it's just it's just one of those. It's a it's a perfect storm. And I just think they they just nailed the whole process. I just was so impressed by it. Yeah, Christian, you and I were talking this week uh, offline about how the the one person who's got to be looking at this and going, what is Cliff Blazinski, right? He's like, I I did this exact thing. No, he didn't. I tried to do this. (laughs) I tried to do this exact thing. He tried. For some reason. I don't know what he was thinking. Well, no, but Radical Heights was trying to be the, uh, you know. Radical Heights was, Radical Heights, you could smell the desperation when (laughs) Radical Heights launched. Like, it stunk from the word go. Everybody knew what they were doing and why they were doing it. And Radical Heights was like an early alpha. Like, it was like walls and guns. Like, there wasn't much to it. This feels like a complete product already. Like, there's stuff they can improve on and there's stuff they can backfill now that the game is launched. But it's actually amazing how well it's running, given the load they've been put under, especially compared to how Anthem ran. My God, yeah. we'd be yeah. having a very different conversation if uh, if Apex was only like, you're only able to get into a game every 20 minutes and it was crashing half the time. Like, I don't know how they did it. Well, you know, they have two completely different publishers. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, same publishers. But you know what? There are definitely very different live teams at EA and they don't yeah. talk to each other. Like, Clearly it is, not. Yeah, it is not like there's a live team hub and all of the games use it. Like each, like there's there's like EA, there's like Bioware Austin that does like Star Wars, you know, online and stuff. Like there's all these different hubs for live teams. So every game basically is it's, it's, uh, it's almost like, I wouldn't say it's quite like this, but it's almost like they're reinventing the wheel to do their own thing. Like every time, like, so... Yeah. Like, because it's weird how bad Anthem was, given 
Like this is a company that runs Battlefield games. Like it makes no sense that they wouldn't be ready to to launch an Anthem demo to people and have it run that and have it go that poorly. I was talking to an unnamed person in the industry, uh, just kind of generally. I'll say I'll get specific and just say not at EA, uh, but their kind of analogy for this. Uh, and what happens at any large company was uh, left hand meet right hand, except when they come together, it's not a clap; it's one slapping the other. And I yeah. thought that was pretty funny, where it's like, oh yeah, the companies come together, perfect. No, it's like take that other part of our same company and you're like where did that come from and you're looking like that was my same body yeah Yeah. uh i think one of the most interesting things about the 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 data here that that you kind of uh, summarized christian is that on when apex legends was the top twitch streaming game fortnite wasn't number two yeah it was number six so it is it is directly eating the lunch of Fortnite. It's Fortnite players who and viewers who moved over to this game, which is doing something similar but different, but it is it is in the same wheelhouse. It's the same scratching the same itches, right? And I think it's a part of their marketing. I don't have this confirmed in front of me, but you know, I believe um, Respawn or EA, whomever, paid some of these top streamers to come over and stream it for a, a, a decent amount of time. They brought large audiences with them. Uh, but then it's, so that's literally, it's like if you're playing Splatoon, right? Or Splatoon 2. Yeah, you get points for just painting open map. But if you paint over the other color, that's even better because you're getting that territory and you're taking it away from the other people. So they took tr- people were already popular streamers of their competitor, brought them over, and then they had the faith in their product that it would be captivating and entertaining to watch. Because if I made like Christian's Grass Grow game, you know, and paid uh, Dr. Disrespect or, you know, whomever, Ninja to come play that game, they'd play it for however long I'm paying them to play it. Their viewership would drop. They'd be upset with me and they'd bounce as soon as they could. And on their stream, they'd be like, look, this sucks, but I'm getting paid $150,000 to play it. You know, I'll be back on Fortnite tonight when I can't, you know, whatever. But this game is engaging for the players. I believe a lot of them that were or are getting paid genuinely like it. Um, and it, it speaks to that audience. And I think as, uh, Sean mentioned earlier, this battle Royale audience, the battle Royale game is kind of finicky and, and odd and interesting and people like jumping over to that new thing. So I think audiences are excited to go and watch this new thing too, um, and see how it unfolds. And it, it's a lot of, you know, right time, right place slash genius and, and maybe a, a mix of the two. It's just crazy to me because it, 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 you can win the lottery, right? You can be the, you can jump into a space that already seems way overcrowded, but I guess if you do enough right, you can do it better and people will reward you. And I think that's a good thing, but it also means we're going to see a lot more Battle Royale games. <laughs> uh, we we are, but you know, they've got to be kind of dying, you know, a little bit too. Like Twitch is not the final arbiter of numbers and, and you know, what games are popular and stuff. But like Black Ops 4 right now is like 9,000 9, viewers. Apex is 317. Fortnite is 147. Like there's always a steep drop off. Yeah. Um, so, uh, World of Warcraft actually twenty six thousand, which is amazing. Uh, side note, Jeff, I can't even find Heroes of the Storm. <laughs> like yeah. it just doesn't no, even know. rank. Um, but you know, like so, it's it's uh, 
like it it is like there is really only it's just like when when dotas were huge and league of legends which is fourth on this list right now uh, and then dota 2 is like there's only room for a couple like there's really yeah. not there's really like on a particular platform mobile's a different thing but um there's only room for so many um yeah, mobile's I, where you make real money <laughs> yeah completely console and yeah. pc is what we talk about on this show but mobile yeah. is what keeps activision blizzard alive with king or whoever they own <laughs> yeah, yeah no it's, no it's one really... streams it no one's on twitch really doing it it's not the number one on twitch but it's the thing yeah. that everybody plays and that pays everybody's bills yeah yes, dude yes. when i'm when i'm in an when i'm in the airport in dubai and i'm watching teenagers play <laughs> fortnite on their phone like yeah. there's something going on i don't know we we talk about the uh the confections on this show the, the they're selling the crack cocaine. You know, that's it's a, it's a little bit different. You know, we're like, mm-hmm. oh, these are so delicious. And I kind of, I feel like I'm addicted to them. It's like, no, you want addiction? Take yeah. your phone out, buddy. We yeah. talk to gamers who play one to two hours a day. Meanwhile, non-gamers play 12 hours and don't consider yeah. themselves playing a game. Yeah. Meanwhile, let me step out <laughs> of this meeting and <laughs> no, the hardcore, go to the bathroom. Got these guys are like, I'm a hardcore gamer. You know, I play <laughs> I play Fortnite. And it's like, yeah, these, uh, these Candy Crush players are like, Oh, I'm just yeah. a casual player. I pay play sixteen yeah. to twenty seven hours every day. Even my like, it's such a tangent. But like, even my board game group, half the time when it's not their turn, they're like matching three on something. Yeah, like yeah. We're so Marvel, Gold, or whatever it is. Like they're just like, just like, oh yeah, oh, I I have a spare moment where I'm not engaged with something. I'm just gonna like match some stuff. Yeah, Marvel, Capcom, match threes, and they've been doing it for years playing the Simpsons uh, clicker game for years. Like it's yeah. just part of their neural patterns at this point. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, changing gears uh, significantly, uh, another piece of news that came out this week, I think is uh, definitely a story of the week is that Microsoft evidently will be giving a speech at March's GDC conference. Well, that's redundant. C stands for a conference at GDC uh, talking about how they plan to bring Xbox Live functionality to Nintendo Switch, iOS, and Android. So the idea here would be that your friends list, your achievements, your um, voice communications, potentially, all will work. There will be an SDK that Microsoft will put out that will allow developers to put that stuff on games on these other services. Obviously, notably, no mention of Sony's PlayStation, but uh, I think it's a kind of a big deal if you get Xbox Live, which has long been a very solid online service, onto something like the Switch, which has basically no online service. Um, and and yeah, this is huge. This is Microsoft uh, allowing their tech to be on other hardware platforms. And I wonder what you think about this, Sean. What, what, what's your take on Xbox Live on Switch, Android, and iOS? Um, maybe it's just because I don't totally understand it yet. But like uh, at first blush, it's kind of a big old yawn to me. Like I can I can open up the Xbox app on my phone and like my look at my friends list, my achievements and stuff. Like is the story here that I can go onto my Switch or a developer can make a game for my Switch and use Xbox Live as the multiplayer platform? Or is it I think just... That's- like, I think is that that's kind un- of the idea? It's unclear at this moment whether yeah. that is the case or if it's simply that you will be linked and have one gamer tag 
that you can, you know, add achievement points uh, score to as you're playing on your Switch version of that multi-platform game. Yeah. You have, you know, if if you if someone's logged on on their Xbox, you see it's basically how it works right now already with uh, Minecraft. Minecraft on all these different devices is basically Xbox Live functionality across all these different devices. Mm-hmm. Um I think they just want to allow developers to do that with any game. And yeah, so like backend stuff like login services, friend tracking, you know, things like that. I, I think as soon as like, I don't think uh, I don't see Nintendo letting like Android iOS. Great. I don't see Nintendo doing it, um, letting them do anything particularly interesting or useful on their platform. because it would completely undercut their own online services. Um, so I think like it's, it, a foot it's in the door, though. Yeah. Yeah, it could be a Trojan horse. I mean, you never know. Bill Gates could be hiding in there, just like waiting to get onto a Switch. <laughs> jump so out. I want to cure malaria on the Switch. Um, I mean, there, there's talk of the the voice com tech being, you know, usable, being being part of the SDK, which I think would be cool. We'll find out more at, at GDC. Yeah, don't get a microphone on that Switch, do you? No. no. Yeah, yeah, like you mean game developer? Uh, oh no, I'm sorry. It's GD Conference. Is that what you meant? At GD yeah, Conference. The G- conference yeah. Oh, yeah or game dc yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean i anything that could improve the switch you know hook up your phone and then attack the thing well that's happened and i wonder if there's a reaction to this right because it was announced i have the kotaku article pulled up it's from tuesday and the company that made the voice chat software for Fortnite on switch which is literally plugging in you know the way you you'd, it'd work you plug in headphones that have a mic um, they're behind that, that company said they're opening up that SDK to any game. It's Vivox, V-I-V-O-X. Yep. Um, and they say that that SDK software is available for any game on switch. So that totally bypasses the Nintendo online system for voice communication. And I think that's awesome. I wonder if that's a reaction to like, Oh, Microsoft's oh, we're already doing it. <laughs> it works really well, well in so Fortnite. I, you can do it too. I think Sean, I think you're probably right that Nintendo first party games, which is primarily what you're excited about on switch won't use this but there's a lot of stuff where i'm i would be glad not to have to enter my friend code in order to play online if i just <laughs> 100%, 100%. already yeah already have my friends list from xbox live and i just those people show up in that cool indie game that i'm playing on switch yeah but i but it. i man but i still got to use my smartphone to get any kind of voice functionality it's just so silly like it's just it bothers me so much yeah <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, lots of that was a great discussion and lots of cool stuff. Lots of cool news that we'll have to keep a keep an eye on in the future. But we have games to talk about. First, I want to thank uh, our sponsor, Simple Contacts. I was just talking to my wife about this. <laughs> she needed to uh, renew her her contact lens uh, order. She ran out of contacts and she was like, honey, what's the contact? place that you've been talking about that's so so easy and i was like simple contacts i'm so glad you asked me honey <laughs> because i was like i felt like i was doing a commercial to my wife yeah. uh but it's how i actually feel because i use simple contacts i it is so simple and it gets you contacts simple contacts um they, they're convenient so you don't have to waste your time going if you just need to renew your prescription for example you don't have to make a, a, a an appointment to go do your prescription they have an app and you can do it anywhere with the app in minutes, super simple. Uh, they are fast. So you do the self-guided test. It takes less than five minutes. It doesn't replace your, your eye health exam, which you should have periodically. But if you're just getting a renewal to your, to your uh, prescription, less than five minutes. It's so simple, so fast. You don't have to worry about going to a place, 
get it docking, you know, waiting in a, in a lobby, any of that stuff. And it's reliable. So it's uh, designed by ophthalmologists and a licensed doctor reviews every test. So it's not even automated. It's, it's actually a licensed doctor who reviews your test. It's cool. I did this actually. And uh, I tried to get by without even doing the, I tried to see if I could to you know, trick it. And they knew and they were like, Hey, you didn't actually do the thing. Uh, I'm a doctor and I really need you to. And I was like, Oh, cool. But it took less than five minutes. So I, it didn't even bother me. Uh, they call it a five-star experience because people are reviewing it at five stars all over the app. Uh, 5,000 five-star reviews in the app store. Pretty cool. Uh, they have choice though. The simple contacts uh, has all of the contact lens brands that you would expect. I, I have a very specific contact lens brand because I got LASIK and it wore off. So my eyes are a weird shape because they were literally shaved by a laser. So I have a very specific contact lens brand. Simple contact has it, has it at a price that I can't even find places. It's less expensive. Uh, I'm so pleased by that. They save you money. Uh, the vision test is only 20 bucks, which you can compare to uh, places where you require an appointment, like up to 200 bucks. And the prices of contact lens, as I said, unbeatable. So let us help you out. Uh, we have a great offer. Remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but we'll get you $20 off your contacts at simplecontacts.com slash DLC20 or enter promo code DLC20 at checkout. It's easy to remember because you get $20 off simplecontacts.com slash DLC20 and promo code DLC20 at checkout. Well, we got to start with Apex Legends. Everybody's playing it. We've been playing it. Uh, me less than everybody else, but that's okay. Uh, I still want to hear about it. Sean, uh, I know that you have played a fair amount of Battle Royale games. Would you consider yourself a fan of the genre? No, I'm a reluctant <laughs> enjoyer of the genre. Would be <laughs> would be the way. <laughs> I'm a so I've I've probably put in about forty hours. 30 to 40 hours of PUBG, you know, in a mix, like some solo, some with friends, pairs, right. fours, you know, like I've, I've put some time into PUBG. I really did try Fortnite. Like is, you know, I had like kids coming over and doing Fortnite dances and stuff. And I was like, all right, fine. I'm like, I'm going to try it. And I, tr I played it for a while and the building thing just wasn't my deal. It was, it's just too much. I you like gotta the way you got to deal with too much. You decide if you play. I'm curious in this game, I should probably invite some local kids over to perform <laughs> no, dances no, no, like, from said game for me. <laughs> no, no, Let no, me see no, if no, I'm no. interested in it. My, my, my wife is like in the big brother, big sister program and her little sister like walks into my office one day and she like stands there in, in the T pose, which if you've been a gamer for any <laughs> amount of time, you know what the T pose is because you walk into a room and it hasn't loaded yet. All the NPCs are standing like they're about to be crucified, like in a T pose. <laughs> and it's like, oh, haha, T pose. And she came in and do it. And, and she did that. And I'm like, why are you doing the T pose? She's like, Fortnite. I'm like, no. And I spent five minutes telling her what the T pose was from. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I, and then I threw myself out the window and, and signed up for an old folks home. Um, so, so I've tried Fortnite. It didn't really pan out. Um, so I, I, was, I was actually, I am the one Apex Legends is for. I've enjoyed mm. Battle Royale in the past. I'm a lapsed player. I haven't played a Battle Royale game for probably about a year. And here's a hot new sexy Battle Royale game by a really good FPS developer. And it's launching today. And hey, it's free, which that's how you get to 10 million in a few days. It's free. 
Yeah. So I don't know if you're making money, but I'm sure glad it's free because a lot of my friends are jumping into it who probably wouldn't touch it if it was $30. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've had a blast. It's, it is a really wonderful combination of, uh, on my podcast, on the conference call, uh, Amanda made a prediction, not for this year, but for last year, that some developer was going to launch a multiplayer game and try to chomp Blizzard's flavor on having these like characters with stories in their multiplayer games, like Overwatch does. And it was just like Apex was just a year late. But it's basically that. They're like, cool, people like Overwatch. Every character has a personality, unique powers. But, and it's such an important thing to me, in Apex Legends, those powers are really cool. They really define what your character can do, but they don't feel like they shift the balance hugely when you're actually in a firefight. Hmm. Like it still really feels like it comes down to like positioning and shooting well and keeping your cool and having good equipment and stuff. Um, And then you take, you combine like these like unique little powers and like it's really lovely to, like when you play PUBG, you run into somebody and they're just wearing like pants and a, sh- and a plaid shirt. And maybe they have a frying pan. You're trying to figure out what gun they have. When you're playing Apex Legends, just like when you're playing Overwatch, you're like, oh, that's Wraith. That person can go invisible maybe. I got to be careful about that. Or like, oh, there's Bangalore. She might drop missiles on my head if I'm not careful. So like all, right away, I've got really good language without like needing to do a lot of guesswork. And then you combine it with like the mobility, the way sliding down hills works, like you're playing tribes again um, to some degree. Uh, and like the like some of the special abilities actually change the way you interact with the map. Like the the robot guy, he can like create a zip line from anywhere, which is amazing, which seems like it should be game, game breaking, but it's not. Like it's so cool. Um, I'm just like, it's just fun, colorful, quick to get in, quick to get out. You die, you're back in a match within a minute or two. They just did so many smart things with the genre. They really paid attention and then they put their respawn spin on with all the great gun shooting and stuff and threw you in there and and it just works. And people who don't even like this genre are like, I'm going to go play this more. Hey, let's, and not only that, sorry, my last thing and I'll shut up. You only need three people. It's not pairs. It's not solo. It's just three, which is like the magic bullet number for getting friends together. I just need two other people to have a complete team. That is like the difference between three and four. It's like this is vast gulf between the two as far <laughs> as my friend group goes. So like they were so smart in dictating that as well. Um, and and then the ping system's great. So I love it. I, I think that's, <clears throat> there's a lot I want to say, but I'll start with that because that's where you left off, Sean. I think the ping system, which if you don't, people that don't know, it is the right bumper on Xbox. I guess that's R1 on PlayStation, correct? I think my button's right. It's funny when you don't have a control in your hand, you're like, what is it? Um, R1. And what it does is it's context aware um, marking within a map. So, you know, you have your cur- your your um, reticle on screen. And if you point it at something, it will call out to your team using your character's voice what that thing is. A prompt, go here, do this, hold that, enemies over here, extra health here, shotgun here, uh, shield here, helmet here. And so for a game, a genre a team-based game that usually requires so much communication where it can be a real downer if you're playing with randoms or if you don't all have mics or if my kid's asleep and I'm playing even with friends, but I'm not going to be like yelling with a with a mic on. The way you can ping things in the map, it makes actually talking 
almost unnecessary and it's almost faster to just ping because you're already looking there on the map anyway and the context awareness of the system and game is almost always spot on with what you want to try to call out where now when i'm playing with my friends online usually we're just chatting (laughs) and it's not interfering with our gameplay in any way shape or form of the strategy because we're just pinging what's important and where we want to go then if someone flanks us you can yell that out Um, But it's such a smart implementation of a way to bring cooperation and team play to a game that um, to make it not require voice chat or playing with teammates. It encourages cooperation without needing to risk putting on a headset and having people yell obscenities at you. It's so smart. And I think that's going to be a system we're going to see a lot of games ape. I mean, communication was so important to this game that they gave it a button, you know, <clears throat> like, yeah, controllers have a lot of buttons on it, but so many games use all of them. And here Respawn was like, we want to encourage team play and teamwork. We're dedicating a button to it. And they knocked it out of the park. I think that's huge. I think it's absolutely huge. Um, Other things, as I uh, build off of Sean's enthusiasm for my rant about Apex Legends, I think uh, while other games have certainly built on the genre of Battle Royale since it kind of came out and caught fire, I think, in my opinion, Apex Legends is the first one that evolves the genre and and proves its staying power as a genre and not just as a thing that everybody does exactly the same. And so they took the hero elements of Overwatch, also the way in which... um, your apex or what are the, what is your the things you build up apex trophy whatever they are uh when you unlock your thing to get your new skins and whatever the way that falls and jingles around and then the things pop out of it just like overwatch <laughs> and just like overwatch it's super satisfying it took the health uh kind of like the way you're injecting yourself um and the way your inventory is smartly managed in terms of putting on attachments for your guns and keeping you out of a menu from being buried deep into a menu when you're trying to manage all of your stuff for gear that you've picked up um it built took both of those elements from black ops 4 and in my opinion improved upon them it took the basic idea of a battle royale from PUBG. It took skins of a first-person game, but found a way to make them unique and creative, again, from Overwatch. It's borrowing the super satisfying and addictive, but I think a good free-to-play spend of the season pass from Fortnite. It's taking the game show element from Radical Heights, where it's, you know, you're dropping into this thing to win a show. It's an island. It's this competition. I'm not saying Radical Heights is the first game to do it, but of you know even looking at games like that and taking things that were popular from them it's added i think that might be hunger games more than radical heights but you know well that's all battle royales right i'm saying but like if you're looking at the battle royale genre uh or the hero shooter genre these are elements that that were popular of those games that this game does and does i think maybe better or as good um a way to encourage emotes and skins and stuff like that for a first person game uh when you down somebody they can be revived which has been common in in battle royales but much like in um gears of war you could then go up and like head stomp somebody you can go up and i I forget what it's called you know final kill them and when it goes they call it execute execute yeah when you go into that moment your camera as let's say i'm downed when it goes into that moment, I then am watching this other character come up and do some cool, you know, they pull out a billy club and bonk you in the face. And it's like this nice moment for them to gloat their character, like give me a peace sign or, you know, do whatever. Built in uh, um, taunting. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, in a really effective way that makes you frustrated, but you're also like, but also like, oh, I want that one. <laughs> you know, when I play as that character, um, so all of those things I think are its its soup that makes the game great in terms of being the evolution of the battle royale and the things that it does on its own. Uh, in my opinion, maybe these are other games as well that are so smart are in terms of the teamwork with the ping system I've talked about. When you pick a hero, uh, when the match loads and you're picking heroes, it tells you who picks first, second, and third. So it's not like a mad scramble for everybody to not pick Mercy. or you know Everybody's trying to get, oh, everybody's already Soldier 76, I'm going to X out. You, you can expect that you're going to be third pick, so you can think in your head, who am I going to pick? Likely not my main, if, you, if you're that serious about it. Um, the way you then jump into a map, you're coming in with your team leader, which you can give up if you don't want that pressure, but it assigns it randomly. You're all locked to that person by default. So we're all going to land in the same place. If us three are playing right now, I'm the team leader. Other people can suggest places to land on the map by pinging it. Uh, you can also break off and do your own thing if you want. Maybe strategy-wise, you might choose to do that. Or if you're a jerk, you might choose to do that. But by default, you're all together. It's random who gets assigned that role. And then you fly down your landing as a squad ready to go. It's taken the heal mechanic that's common in Battle Royales and team mode games. When you go down, your teammate can heal you. But it also added a, true to the developer's name, a respawn mechanic. That even when you're killed, your loot chest is dropped on the ground and a teammate can go over there and grab your banner that they'll then carry with them. And they need to get to set respawn markers on the map that exist, I believe, only for a limited time and are kind of randomly assigned. And so it's a real risk-reward where it might be outside the circle or at the edge of the circle where it's going. But if you can run over there and you have both of your teammates' banners, you can spawn them both back. What a wild swing that that is in terms of a battle royale where now you're a full squad again, you know, ready to go. And then it just launched so polished, right? Like, this is a game that feels finished. They released it as finished. They didn't even put a caveat on there of like early access or anything like that. Um, oh, another thing about the pinging, uh, the way the the system, the HUD in the game kind of works is in terms of attachments, they are smartly put on when you pick them up. Uh, if you get a new weapon that would also use that attachment and that weapon is better, it'll move that attachment to that gun by default. Uh, ammo is color coded. So you know if it goes with the weapons that you have, if something doesn't work with what you have, it's clearly marked on the map, so you're not picking up inventory if you don't want to that you don't need. Um, this beat Battlefield's Battle Royale to market, which blows my mind. And I have to wonder if this says anything about the Frostbite engine versus the Source engine, which Respawn has proven themselves masters with. Uh, the Source engine is very old. Uh, it's what Titanfall 1 and 2 were made on and what this is made on. But it looks beautiful, it looks incredible, and it works so well with a game of this scale. And I have to, I, I have to wonder if, if the Frostbite has been problematic for um, Battlefield and for some of these other games that are trying to use it. I've talked a lot, but I really do think this game is, is very, very special. And I think Respawn just absolutely knocked it out of the park. For me, this is one of those occasions where... Uh, I am on the outside looking in and going, man, am I, am I a bad person for not wanting to play this at all? No, <laughs> no. I, there's a lot out there. It's, it's one of those where I'm like, I kind of wish I was invited to that party, but I just, <laughs> I just, I don't even, I, I guess I am invited to the party. I just, I can't bring myself to go to that party. And there's so many other things to play that 
this is never going to be for me. And so my week has been a roller coaster of watching comments about, oh, no, there's not going to be a Titanfall 3. Oh, wait, there is maybe going to be more Titanfall. <laughs> it's like it's been a roller coaster because I loved the, the campaign of Titanfall 2 so much. And uh, when news hit that uh, Vincent Pella said that it was going to be, you know, this this was this is our our game. This is it. This is the thing we made. Uh, no, no, nothing else. And then he was like, no, wait, there is more Titanfall coming. So I just hope that there's some single player Titanfall with actual Titans that fall. Um, because I loved that and I want more of that. Um, but what remains to be seen. I'm just, this game is never going to be for me. I downloaded it. I played it for the game told me exactly 46 seconds. And I was like, it's not, it's not me. It's just not 46 for me. seconds is not really what we'd call a fair shake. <laughs> Agreed. I will cop to that hundred yeah. percent. I yeah. landed and, uh, I landed and was killed immediate, immediately. Yes, like I literally landed happen. and yep. died as there was no, I didn't blink. I didn't, there was no movement of my controller. I landed and died. And the thing said, your squad is dead. Bye. And I was like, I'm uninstalling. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, I'm just not, not. I'm not. I'm not. not my, for me. one of our uh, like co-founder gamers job, Sean Sands, very much in the same boat. Doesn't like battle royale games. Um, isn't going to play this one. But he's been like hanging out. Like when we Twitch stream it, he's been hanging out and watching us play and chatting. And like he's like, I I like. It's a great game to watch. Like it's a fun watch. Um, he's like, I will never. I will never play this game. Like it's just the the rage part of like you land and you die. Like if you're not that like if you don't have the mindset for that it's battle royale is never going to be your genre because <laughs> you could have just five or six runs where it's just like yeah i know i collected a bunch of great stuff and i got got within like every time i had an encounter i died immediately and apex in particular it's fast like this is a respawn game it especially when you're new to it it feels really fast it takes a while for it to slow down more so even than PUBG. Um, and so what you really have to do for folks who are like, eh, I'm not sure I, maybe I want to dip my toe in this, in the waters here. I think the mindset you want to go into is I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die and, and get a couple friends together and just jump into the spiciest drops you can. Like, yeah. where, like where's everybody going? We're going to that one. Cause it's going to give me a chance to get a feel for the gunplay to get into fights because otherwise like with PUBG, it's like you could land on the map not see any you can play for two hours in those two hours you could have maybe five encounters if you're just being a coward the whole time and you're not going to like learn you're not going to improve your reflexes and get used to it like you really need to like drop in there get into the stuff and just really uh, have at it and die a lot to learn quickly because like i've i probably played five six hours i'm guessing I finally had that click moment and it was on stream like, oh, yeah, everybody saw it too, where I had this moment where I was just sucking so bad for so long. Everybody's watching me fail constantly. And then I had that moment where both of my squad members were down. I sniped one guy. I moved in to recover my squad members so I could respawn them. And like three more guys came out of the woodwork and I killed all of them. Like I downed all of them. They all died. And I picked up my squad and like, it was just a beautiful moment. I was like, oh, I, I can do this. Like I can still <laughs> like, cause my friend Corey Banks who's also on the podcast was like, no nah, man, you're just getting old. You're just slowing down. I'm not convinced that's true. I still feel like if I'm willing to put the time in, I could get good at this. 
Um, but I don't know because it's been a long time since I really pushed myself to get good at a game, like in a multiplayer thing. I also um, want to give a yeah. quick shout out to the <clears throat> to the heroes themselves. While I'm sure they're not perfect, um, I, I really uh, enjoy the diverse cast of characters that this game came to bat with at launch. The backstories are fun and interesting and all different. And it's not like a soldier who's now doing this for money. Another soldier doing this for money. This soldier does it just to win. (laughs) And you're just like, okay. Like it really seemed to have taken from the Overwatch book of creating interesting backstory for these characters. And they all, as you mentioned, Sean, they all look different on the map. I do have a hard time still. It's that this is me getting old. Uh, Was that simple contacts? Okay. Um, (laughs) Of like, I don't see characters as quickly. Like Fortnite is so bright that, uh, and most people wear like pink bunny suits. I can spot those characters quicker. Um, here I, have, I I sometimes won't even I'm watching like good people play I'm like how do they see I don't even see what they were shooting at but uh, the character designs are all different looking so you're able to when you do recognize them you kind of ha- know what they're coming to the table with and they're all they're all great and diverse there's a lot of um, you know really interesting characters that aren't just G.I. Joe repackaged over and over again and I think that's yeah. really cool and Respawn didn't make a big hubaloo about it right it wasn't like and our cast of characters is this is just this is our game. Here you go. And I like it. I like it. Yep. I, I think it's great. I love the diverse cast. Um, and like, I mean, these characters are very shallow in terms of how they're manifesting their character yes. within a given <laughs> match compared to Overwatch. But that's something they can step back into. Now that they've launched, it's been a good, successful launch. They can start to build more of that in now that they've kind of got their their foot in the door so to speak and i and i hope they do because those character barks and moments and stuff like overwatch like that makes overwatch really fun and there's lots of situational things they could be saying in the game um but even like what they do say you lot you land and then the ring gets established your character your npc will say oh good we're inside the ring such as like you don't need to bring up your map and see if you're inside or not right away Hmm. like just so many little things that just make such a a big difference i could there's a lot of lovely design moments in apex i could go on and on about but um yeah i'd say if it's like if you're on the fence about battle royales it's a good one to look at the one thing to keep in mind is it is a first person shooter uh and it is fast it is faster a little bit faster than average it's not unreal tournament it's not quake but it definitely has a quicker flow maybe than you're used to if all you've been playing is PUBG. And there was some chatter about their release strategy too, where this is all hearsay. Uh, you know, I don't have like the article in front of me, but kind of why they launched the way they did. And you can take it with ever grains of salt. Maybe they didn't have a budget and this is the justification they give. But uh, there's word out there where it's like, but they didn't want to do the big build up pre-release coverage release because they'd get, they didn't want the stuff of like, oh, the microtransactions are what? Oh, another battle royale enters the fray. Another, here comes another, you know, also ran. They they said they just wanted people to play the game. And if the game was good enough, it would work. And if it wasn't, it wouldn't. And they didn't want people to get distracted by all these other things that you see, you know, games get distracted by. And it, it really paid off, it seems like. Well, it's in hindsight, it, it seems brilliant, but it could easily have been the thing that didn't yes. work, right? And it could it's a like- beloved developer that yeah. has a great penchant for great gunplay. It wasn't like first time dev, <laughs> you know. Sure, but yeah, you know, it, you never know. Those things, I'm sure, didn't. Wasn't yes. an easy decision. It's a, yes. You feel like, well, we need a PR strategy. There needs to be a, you know, a buildup. Anyway, 
The Dodgers uh, manager very- was a genius until he lost the World Series. Then he was the <laughs> worst manager of all time, right? right? You can't coach like that. That gets you nowhere. <laughs> uh, I'm very pleased to hear you guys speak so highly of it. I, I'm rooting for Respawn as a fan of the studio and a fan of their games. And uh, I, I'm pleased to see it. It's just I've, I have doubled down on my follow the fun strategy. And I'm trying to be honest with myself and say, I'm, this isn't for me. And it's okay because there's plenty of other things to play. I don't have yeah. to force myself and, and to it, like it. It kind of makes me like super into like see that Star Wars game. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> I cannot wait. Um, speaking of other things to play, I another reason I didn't you know force myself to play more Apex Legends is because this week was the uh, special VIP private beta for the Division Two, which I got to play. I think all of us did. Um, or maybe Christian, I don't know if you did or not. But anyway. I was too uh, busy closing car doors in real life. <laughs> closing car doors. Uh, and I loved the first division. I played a lot of it. Um, I played a lot of endgame of it. I kind of fell off because the endgame was a mess when I was playing it. But I know that they had done a lot of improvements. Uh, and the Division 2 beta that we were able to play this weekend um, offered a glimpse at various stages of the game. And... I am so excited for this game to come out. I, I know that it is very much, it, it feels very similar to the first game. There, It isn't that huge, you know, second revision uh, departure that maybe some people were hoping for. It very much feels like the same game in a new context. But this is an, an example of small changes that I think add up to big things, especially if you're a person that played a lot of the first game and saw the flaws. I, I feel like they've addressed a lot of things. They've addressed a lot of just sort of feel um, and and the way weapons work, the, the, the very granular details of how stuff works, the way uh, enemies don't feel quite as much like bullet sponges anymore, the way their armor interplays with their health so that you literally have to shoot their armor off. And then once you do, their health goes down quickly. That feel doesn't make it feel like you're just pouring bullets into this hobo that's like, why is this hobo able to, you know, just because it's a level whatever. Um, stuff like that, the, the maps feel, this is Washington DC where the first game was New York, I think. Um, and, uh, the, the maps feel, I think more open, less corridory, more off the beaten path stuff, more stuff to discover around. Um, it's beautiful. It's greener. It's more vibrant. It's, it's less sort of contrasty and dark, um, there are more paths of upgrades. You're more things to to be working on. In in this uh, another example of the games we've been talking about, these sort of infinite play, invest lots of time in games. Um, this one, it seems like there's more hooks for that to upgrade your your uh, base and various areas around the the um, the city that you can unlock. Um, I'm really encouraged. I loved the time I played with it and i think i'm going to be putting lots of time in the full release of division two when it comes out uh sean what did you think of it um i i like it a lot uh i'm somewhat surprisingly so like i actually like the division quite a bit as well um i too harbor the fantasies that like with a j crew catalog wardrobe and a gun i could do some serious business uh (laughs) in saving in saving democracy um i i really like the it, it it is really interesting in terms of like the actual game, the actual gameplay and stuff. I really, I think that they have made some really smart changes. Uh, and I think that this going back to talk about like 
pipelines and talking about like destiny and and content and all this kind of stuff and creating these big edifices. This is a really great example of what Ubisoft does incredibly well. Yes. Uh, just like they did with the Assassin's Creed franchise and Far Cry and so many others. Like the Division 2 is just the latest example. All right, Division 1 worked really well. We got our pipeline set up. And Division 2 feels very much like the the game is being created going down basically the same water slides as the first one was. Like it just it really does feel like, all right, we're going to tweak our systems, but don't worry art team, you just need to make a new city. And we're going to like, and but we're going to like tweak AI. We're going to tweak the way NPCs are kitted out. They're going to use more grenades, more drones. There's like those robot dog things that are terrifying. Um, like they've got a lot of variation. And I love that the enemies are willing to use more of it. So like I'm throwing drones and turrets down and they're like throwing up drones at me and they're throwing turrets down and they're doing wild stuff. Um, and, and I love that they actually unlocked uh, some endgame stuff too. They unlocked level 30 characters yeah, with some dope kit and said, okay, now go do a mission that you just maybe just did. But now you're going to do it at level 30 and see what the endgame is going to be like. So you go do the same mission, but now it's like Black Tusk is there and they're like super <laughs> yeah. military and you're going through the same level but you're getting like the wildest stuff getting thrown at you <laughs> and and you're like i've got like this elephant gun sniper rifle that is dropping like fifty thousand damage on people if i get a headshot and it's just like it does feel like it's the same gameplay but it does feel very different and so it does give you this feeling of like whoa like Compared to what it feels like with that level four character I was playing, this level 30 character feels like a walking tank badass and the gameplay feels really interesting and varied too. Um, so it gives me a lot of hope for it. I, I think they've done a wonderful job iterating on the stuff that made the division really cool, um, putting it in a new environment and giving you lots of hooks. Like And, and this beta even is like, it's been stable. Like it's had a few crashes here and there, some memory leaks, but nothing crazy. It doesn't launch till March. They got I've had time. a lot of memory leaks myself and I'm still okay, you know? Like it's not yeah, that no, big. You're doing great. You're doing great so far. I'm actually a little concerned because Jeff mentioned killing hobos and I don't think you could do that in the division. So we might need to, I don't want what you to implicate... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to. I don't want you to implicate yourself, though. So we'll maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you killed people that looked like hobos, but yeah, no, you, you kind of did. Um, and and the actually the enemies you're fighting, at least in the beta, um, do feel a little bit more, uh, a little bit more like justified, I think, than the division. The division was Timothy Elephant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Do you imagine? I if, I couldn't kill him. He's too beloved. He's too <laughs> great. Um, but like, just like it, so that that's like. There's a lot of really cool stuff. I think that. So I I'm still not 100 percent locked to buying this. I probably will, mm. but there's just it's kind of weird walking into the White House right right now, isn't it? Like it's just it, it's a little bit different <laughs> than it would have been four years ago and it's it's kind of wild walking into washington dc which by all accounts of folks who live there it's really well rendered like pretty true to form in terms of the layout and stuff maybe more so than other games have managed with other cities like watchdogs in chicago and stuff like apparently they're like oh yeah i walked to like oh that's my office and that's like where the coffee shop is and that's the bakery over there and like like it's really true to form and so you're walking through this like post-apocalyptic hellscape of washington dc all the civilians, the 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 opening cutscene basically says, yeah, like if you weren't a doomsday prepper and if you didn't own a gun, 
you were screwed. The only people who are thriving now are the people who have guns. Brought to you by the NRA, I guess. Because like you're walking through town and even all the civilians have handguns now. You're not even like saving people who don't have guns. Like everybody has guns. Welcome to Gunland. And it's like, it's a little bit heavy. And and we've always had that juxtaposition with gun violence and video games. And we've always had to kind of deal with it. Playing Apex Legends has like kind of like, yeah, there's an SMG, there's an LMG, there's a sniper. They got weird names. They're, you know, like it's everything's cartoonish a little and it's sort of like it's very gamey. This, other than like the fact that you still need to put quite a few bullets into people to down them, it is definitely feels like a more realistic thing. And that is just and, and with the White House there and all these Washington landmarks that even as a Canadian are really baked into my like cultural subconscious it's just like, it's just a little bit more real. And, and it's just, and it's, I was actually surprised at how much that hit me with this when that opening mission in the beta is like, we, you got to fight through to the white house. And I'm like, I don't want to go there right now. Yeah. <laughs> I know who lives point. there. It sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. They you know, wasted so, no time. They're like, it, it's, it's set in Washington, DC. What's the first thing you do? Go to the white house. Go to Shoot the white everything house. There. Like, you'd yeah. think that would be like the end game thing like that. I thought they were kind of, when when they announced it at E3, I thought they were pitching it like that was going to be like one of the main end game points. But I think yeah. that might be more like the Capitol building. I'm not sure. So there is the diehard John McClane part of me that just like, I love like, yeah, give me cool guns I can upgrade. Let me go like save the day in a realistic environment and feel like a badass. And it's a video game. Like, I'm good. It's just this, I was just surprised at like how that, those two things butting up against each other was was hitting me a little stronger than it has in the past with games. I think that's very valid. That's very valid. Uh, it 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 wasn't it didn't um, didn't hit me quite that way. I think I was able to have a little dissonance. <laughs> uh, but now that you bring it up, it it certainly resonates. Um, and yeah, it's disturbing. But. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But man, that cover system is tight. Like it it's feels so great. <laughs> the cover when you, system when is you so send tight. your like your roller grenade across the thing and it blows up and, and it doesn't just blow up, it actually goes up into the air and then air bursts over the oh, enemies. Like dude. The, the, the turrets are so fun. Like yeah. it, it's it's like I'm gonna end up getting it. And you get because, like multiple people yeah. with multiple turrets in in one like little kill box, and you're just like it's this it's pretty great. And, and yeah, it looks great. I was it supports ultra wide on PC and I was just like loving it. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's so good and yeah. <laughs> I I love Ubisoft games and I think they make <clears throat> excuse me some of these best open world, you know, big sandbox games, especially this these past few years and they've been doing Dude, it for so, Somehow without me looking Ubisoft became my favorite publisher. I, I didn't even know it was happening. Yeah, yeah. It didn't even, it, it snuck up on me in some weird way. And now all of a sudden I'm like, no, Ubisoft's my favorite publisher. Well, How did un- that happen? Unlike EA, all of Ubisoft's game have basically the same, they're running through the same hallways. They're running through the same pipelines. Like there's a reason why Far Cry New Dawn has an RPG like layer now and enemies have yeah. health bars and there's like things are gated. And if somebody's just like Assassin's Creed, if somebody's ahead of you in level, you're not going to be able to just headshot them once, dog. You're going to have to like shoot them a few times because they're above level. That's a thing now. Mm-hmm. In all Ubisoft games, it's the thing now. Like they take parts so if and you're, bring it over. Yeah. If you're into that, Ubisoft's got you covered from multiple angles all year long. <laughs> true. And they look gorgeous. They play well. They usually launch relatively stable. I know 
some some games have had some issues. Um, but I think the things that I find interesting. So all of that being said, I I genuinely love their games, and I purchase many of them each year, and they're always in my you know at least one or two are in my top ten of the year, pretty much every year. Um, I think things that they struggle with are often tone, which I talked about in Far Cry Five, um, even Ghost Recon Wildlands, a game I love. It's you know whether it's the overabundance f-bombs that even assassin's creed odyssey seems to have um uh and that kind of use of of language or just in um wild lands it was this like it's like coked out child abuse people and then they show it and go into it and then you go in there and you kill them and you're like just reveling in the kill which is totally kind of frustrating for me oh there's some real gnarly stuff in wildlands like yeah yeah, and so like hearing this about division two and i think the other thing that me as a so that's me as a person and then me as a gamer one thing that i think and part of me commends ubisoft for doing it because it does make it can make for compelling stories but i also think it makes for more difficult combat encounters is that in most ubisoft games you're going up against people and so if i have to put 200 assault rifle rounds into a person in a hoodie i'm like i don't know about that even a person in ballistic gear it's like i just emptied two clips into you this is bizarre meanwhile i could be playing destiny and be going up against alien thing 2.461 and enter and you know unload 200 rounds into this thing with no armor on and i'm like but it's an alien <laughs> yeah he's got a carapace probably he's right. got like four probably. hearts i don't know yeah. that's what yeah. it thinks it, it's got nan- nanobots or something yeah and so because <laughs> ubisoft and uh, typically has you going up against humans for me there is this disconnect of like i hit you in the head you don't have a helmet on but dude no no they have really addressed that in this, oh, cool. in this game it really addressed it it is it is a uh, an armor system that you if you shoot the leg, the leg armor breaks off oh, and cool. po- and pops off. And you, now the leg is is vulnerable. If you shoot the shoulder, the shoulder armor pops off. And you pour lots of ammo into the armor, but once the armor is off, their health goes down super fast because you're now you're just shooting into a person. Oh, that's great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it works really well. And you see it happen. Like there's a, there was a character that ran straight at me at one point and I shot at its helmet and I popped the helmet off of it. You know, it's, it's all, you know, modeled and it, it, it works. It's a big improvement from the first game, which yes, just felt like sponges. But it's such a funny thing, right? And maybe it's just me, but yeah, for me, it's like person, I have a problem with it. Alien, no problem with it. It's just such a disconnect that I have. Yeah, for sure. Um, we got lots of, man, we are so much stuff to talk about. I do need to thank our second sponsor, Robin hood. Speaking of growing up and being responsible, investing money is, is something that, uh, I avoided for far too long in my life because I didn't want to grow up and think about it and be, you know, responsible. But Robin hood is for people like me. It's an investing app, let you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission free. Uh, and you know other brokerages can charge you up to ten bucks for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees whatsoever. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. The idea being that you learn by doing, uh, instead of you know paying to learn, <laughs> paying to do. You can figure this out and, and and really get in there and learn the systems, make some trades without having to pay commission fees. Uh, plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can just start investing. At any level, just dip your toe if that's what you'd like to do. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. And 
You can view easy to understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular. And with Robinhood, you learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You can discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so that you never miss the right moment to invest. And the coolest thing is that Robinhood is giving listeners of DLC a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. If you've ever been curious about investing, you want to learn how to do it, why not start with a, a stock that you get for free just because you listen to this show? You can sign up at dlcpodcast.robinhood.com. That's dlcpodcast.robinhood.com. Check it out. It's, it's really cool. All right, uh, Christian, you also have been playing some old DLC that you've been meaning to get to. Speaking yeah, I don't spend a lot of time uh, on it per se, but I purchased uh, the Frozen Wilds for Horizon Zero Dawn. Like I pre-ordered it <laughs> as soon as it was announced. And I never... 2016? <laughs> 16 or 17, yeah. And hadn't gone... I think 16, I think you're right. Uh, hadn't touched it, and I went back to it. Um, as much as I like Apex Legends, I like uh, narrative progress, and I didn't have a game that was scratching that itch as after competing shadow of the tomb raider which is on game pass now if you have xbox game pass a uh, great way to check that out. i think all of the new tomb raiders are there but man horizon zero dawn especially now that it's three years old or whatever still an absolutely gorgeous game the frozen wilds are kicking my butt in all the right way it's end game i mean it's not in game because it takes place in the game before the end of the game it assumes that all the skills that you've built in order to complete the Horizon Zero Dawn are still with you as you load up their their, <laughs> their expansion, and it tells you that very quickly. Uh, the first enemy you encounter is very difficult, and it's like, yeah. So I actually encountered that enemy, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go just do another random side mission that I have open still to relearn to retrain my fingers of what does what. Uh, I still really enjoy that game. Uh, if you haven't, I think the complete edition is very cheap to find and pick up now. And the Frozen Wilds, it's a three year old game, is still stunning. I think it's gorgeous. I love Aloy. I love the story that it's telling right now. I think it's really cool. And it makes me, I wanted to put it here, one, because I'm playing it, but two, it makes me even more excited for Death Stranding again to know that it's in that engine. Um, and that engine, mm -hmm. it seems like yeah. it can do so much. So I'm going to keep plugging away at it. Also, it blows my mind. I think Sony did a great job with single-player DLC the past few years, where the Frozen Wilds, I think, is 10 to 11 hours or whatever, um, Uncharted Lost Legacy was part of the season pass for Uncharted 4, and that was a big meaty chunk. The Spider-Man seasons, I think, were pretty fun and engaging, single-player content. I don't know how they performed, but me as a gamer, I really appreciate these big, sizable chunk um, additions to single-player games. It's further wild. It's, it's very old, and I'm finally unthawing I it. I appreciate them because I can play it two years later. Which yeah. Is, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, I have also been playing, I know Sean, you have too, uh, war groove, which, um, is as far as you can get from what we've been talking about so far on the show, a turn-based strat tactical strategy game, uh, with a sort of 16 bit, uh, pixel aesthetic. Uh, I'm playing it on switch. Are you playing it on PC, Sean? Uh, I'm playing on switch as well. Uh, uh, it's I've actually played on both, but I'm I'm I've mostly been playing on Switch. It's great on the Switch. Like it's so good. That that's so good. That, it, that's where it really starts to scratch your Advance Wars itch. Yeah, let's say it's Advance Wars, right? Like, is that can we just you, you know, know what jump you to know the what end? it feels like more to me? I, I mean, I love Advance Wars, and it definitely has Advance Wars DNA. But it 
it actually feels like Warcraft 3 turn-based. Huh. It, what if you played Warcraft 3, but instead of a real-time strategy game, it was it was turn-based? Well, wait, send, send that as a tweet real quick. <laughs> <laughs> what if? Um, I don't know. I don't know, if Sean, if you disagree with that, but I, I feel like it's it's got a lot. It's got the um, the heroes thing in, in the form of generals from uh, Warcraft 3. It's got base capturing and destroying of of uh, sieging of uh, of you know, buildings and being able to add units in real as you're playing from these build barracks and stuff. It very much feels to me like I'm playing Warcraft three, but I love the turn-based element because I'm, I'm making cool decisions and, and can take my time as an old man. And, uh, it, it's a game that I think doesn't pull any punches. It's, it's challenging. And, but in the best way, I love it. Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, I, I can see some of the Warcraft 3 comparisons. Like, I think even graphically, not, not it's very pixely. It's a very, you know, like SNES, like yeah. kind of Fire Emblem y sort of look to it uh, from that era. Um, but it, it definitely has like those broad colors and the, mm-hmm. the way the trees look and the way the hero units work with their special abilities. Um, and like you said, taking uh, taking control of houses will do things like give you more income. Then taking control right. of barracks, you can produce more units. Um, what you're not doing is like, collecting resources or doing stuff like that your resources are the houses though so the houses generate money which lets you buy units in the middle of a mission what i what i really dig about it is how much information they give me i love i love that when i move a unit when i select a unit i'm like i want to go up here what happens if i attack this one it's not a random number generator it's like well you'll do either two damage or ten we'll see what the roll says it's like if you go there and attack you are guaranteed to do this percentage of damage against them. And then if they're still alive to retaliate, they're going to do this percentage against your unit. And yeah. so you know exactly what you're going to, what exact, you know exactly what's going to happen when you take an action. Um, and so it creates a more puzzle like feeling to the strategy rather than just being a full on like tactical game per se, where you're trying to measure all these different odds. It's more like, what is the most optimal thing to do in the moment? Because I know what each unit is going to do in terms of damage. I know what the range is in terms of positioning. I can check my enemy's ranges for when their turn comes up. And so it all of a sudden, like you're playing it. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I'm like, I am playing a strategy game. It's very tactical. But it's also a puzzle game. Each turn right. is a new puzzle. And so that's true. really cool. And then the units are so varied. Um, and the the special abilities your generals have are so neat. Some missions have fog of war. So you need to actually, you have war pups. And so they can run onto mountains and, and reveal more of the map to clear the fog of war. Some missions don't have a fog of war. So you have perfect information about the whole board, but they'll introduce new units. Like this mission is when we're introducing flying units. And then we're also going to introduce the counter units for that. So you can learn that. And then the next mission, flying units are just there, but then there's some other new things. So as you're going through the campaign, they're layering in all these different elements. And you just know that as you go along, eventually they're just be like, all right, you got the whole banquet in front of you. Every mission, we're going to be throwing everything at you. And you're going to have to like make like, what units do I build? What order do I build them in? What do I need to counter and when? It's just lots of interesting decisions over time. Uh, Wargroove does that uh, really, really well. There's some 
minor interface stuff i'd like to see them improve i know they've already been talking about doing some updates and some quality of life moves uh which will be nice but overall like i think wargroove is awesome whether it's on switch or whether it's on pc it's great i agree yeah 100 percent with all of that and it, it's i think they managed to figure out a way maybe it's just me <laughs> but i i feel like it's the game Every mission feels really well paced. And I always feel like when I win, I'm getting out of there by the skin of my teeth just as it's crescendoing. And when I lose, it's because I did something poorly. Yeah. You know, it's it it's really hard to pull that off. Every mission feels like that, where I'm like, I never feel like it's a super cakewalk. It always feels like there's some challenge and the challenge ramps up. It it there's actually pacing within a mission. Which is another reason it reminds me of, you know, Warcraft 3 or classic Blizzard games like that, because they were such masters of campaign missions feeling meaty and interesting and having a pace and having a totally um, yeah, like a like a plot that runs through the center of the mission. Um so yeah, it is really, really good. And again, as you said, the perfect switch game because you know, turn-based anyways, you can set it down and pick it up anytime you need. Do a few turns here through a few t- missions there. Uh, it's great. I just, I just wish, as you said, some interface stuff. I wish they just supported the uh, the touch screen because I think like that would make it. Yeah, that would insane. be such a natural fit. I was yeah. kind of shocked that they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So that's War Groove, and it's available on lots of stuff, but we're both playing it on Switch. Um, all right, man. Uh, should we do some tabletop time? We're already kind of running long. What do you think, Sean? You'd I got a really for- quick one. I got a quick okay, one. Okay, great. Let's uh let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. All right, Sean, uh you play the board games. What have you been playing lately? Uh have you ever talked about the game The Quacks of Quendlinburg? <laughs> I have not. Okay, I have heard of this good. and I have not played it. Okay. So it, it did win in a, one of those fancy German awards. It came it out in, in 2018 and it's for two to four players. And real quick, uh, the quacks of, we just call it the quacks of Quackenberg because Quendlinburg is really hard to pronounce. Um, it is a game in which uh, you and three other players are potion makers. You're alchemists who make potions and sell them in the market. And so your potions have like all these different elements like newt and mushrooms and I don't know, just lots of different like little pieces. And what your potion actually amounts to is the way you're drawing ingredients for your potion is you have a black bag and you have all your ingredients in there. Everybody starts with the same ingredients. And then every round, you're going to end up buying new ingredients from the center of the table. Like everybody buys from the same ones and different ingredients have different effects on, on your potion. So you're buying new ingredients and every round, everybody's just pulling ingredients one at a time out of their bag, placing it into their pot, which is a a spiral board in front of them, like placing it on this track. So as the more ingredients you put out, the further along you track your get, which means your potion is more valuable, which means you're going to have more points to buy ingredients on the next round and you're going to get more victory points as well. But potions suck if you don't have just a little bit of poison in them. You don't want a lot of poison. <laughs> you just want a little bit of arsenic in there just for some spice, just to make it kind of nice. So you have a fixed amount of poison in your black bag as well. So as you're drawing ingredients out, you're also occasionally drawing a poison piece out. And you're like, ah, dang, I pulled out a poison too. So you move it two up the track, you put it into your pot. 
And now you have two points worth of poison in your potion. And if you go over seven points, you bust. And so when you bust, you don't get the full benefit of your potion. You can only either take points to buy new ingredients or take victory points. You don't get to do both. And you don't get to roll in the like, there's a bonus dice if you're like the highest poison, like the highest potion number in your thing. So it's a push your luck game. So you're adding more ingredients, which means your potions get better and better. But you're as you like, you can have a thing where you're just like reaching your bag, poison, poison, poison. And you're just like, damn it. Like if I pull another poison, I bust, but I have 15 pieces in here that aren't poison. And you're sitting there just staring at your board. And it's, that's all it is. Like it plays in seven rounds. So each game takes not super, super long, especially once everybody understands, everybody's just pulling out stuff on in their own time. Like it's, you're really just playing it your potion on your own and when you're done you're like all right i don't want to push my luck any further i'm stopping then you can kind of look around and see where everybody else is at and then you'll kind of finish up the round and then you'll like there's different bonuses there's a catch-up mechanic if you're way behind in victory points uh you actually add a rat to your poison and it'll be a number of spaces based on how far back you are so your poison your potion may then start six spaces ahead of everybody else because you're so far behind in victory points Mm -hmm. so it's just a lovely little like you're just buying new element ingredients. Different ingredients have different effects. So you're trying to strategize what kind of like build you have, basically. Uh, and then there's just an element of luck of basically like, what am I pulling out, right? It can either go really well or really poorly. Uh, so it plays in like seven rounds. So it does have a definite endpoint. And the last thing I'll say about Quacks of Quindlinburg is that in the last round, everybody pulls out one ingredient at a time and places it at the same time. The rest of the game, you're just doing it on your own. But the last one, everybody pulls one at a time because you're watching the person who has the most victory points and you're trying to do the math. How far do I need to get to beat this person and when do they back out? So you're like one. So the last round is like really exciting and intense and like it's super great. So it it won an award for good reason. It's a great pick up and play game. Uh, It's great. Quacks of Quindlinburg. Yep. Well, uh, the game I want to talk about, I think, feathers quite nicely into that. Uh, it's called Welcome To... Dot, dot, dot. And it is... Uh, th- there's a whole genre of games that have gotten pretty popular in the last few years called Roll and Write Games. Um, generally speaking, these are games where you roll dice and then you have uh, either like a dry erase pen or something where you you write on something. You physically change a surface, either a pad of paper or a board or whatever <clears throat> lots of different games like that well welcome to is uh a not a roll and write game but a sort of a card and write game because there's no dice in it and the cool thing about this game is like the quacks it it uh it plays very quickly and you are all sort of doing your own thing and playing simultaneously so Board Game Geek actually lists it as being a game for 1 to 100 players because there really is no reason why you can't play any number of players because everybody has their own piece of paper and their own pen and they're working from the same cards on the table and you're all going simultaneously. So adding more players doesn't lengthen the game and it doesn't change any of the elements in the game. You're all just working from the same given information. So you could stack it up, have many players as you want. I think 100 would be a little crazy, but... um, the idea is that you are building a, a little a little uh, suburb and you have three city blocks, three rows of, of housing tracks, and you're building houses in those, in those blocks uh, and <clears throat> the houses have values on them, uh, numbers, and 
you have to build them in sequential order. Uh, they have to be, they have a, a number that's higher has to be placed to the right of a number that's lower always, right? But you're going to get those numbers. Those cards are going to flip up and they're communal cards for everyone. Those cards are going to come up in an unpredictable order. So if you get a card that has a seven on it, you don't want to put it all the way at the end because you'll need to put a card with an eight, nine, or a 10 farther to the right. But you don't want to put it too far to the left because there isn't that many cards that you can put to the right. So you're sort of trying to plan your housing track based on where you think these numbers are all going to fit and how, and it's, you can sort of screw yourself by not having any spaces for numbers that come up because you've blocked yourself out. So you're just writing numbers into boxes, but there are ways to compound the points that you'll get. There are ways to add pools to your homes. There are ways to, um, you know, change certain things, group certain houses into sections and then uh, get bonus points for those groupings, all kinds of ways to score points. It really is basically like thematic Sudoku (laughs) where you don't know the numbers that you're going to have to place until the cards are flipped up. But everybody's playing at the same time. And the coolest thing about this game is everybody's playing with the same information. It is really a test of how I used the same given information you used because we're getting the exact same numbers in the exact same order and you choose to place them where you choose to place them and we're both using all the same given information so one of us will win and one of us won't based on the choices we make. Um, it's it's darn fun. It's a thinker but it plays really quickly. It's really simple. It's just a pad of paper and a pen and these cards and uh, we had a blast playing. It's called Welcome to dot dot dot. I, I watched a Shut Up and Sit Down review that as well. It looks great. Like I haven't yeah. had a chance to play it yet, but it looks super good. It's a blast. It's it's really pretty darn cool. And it's so simple. Uh, but I love games like that where every everybody has the same same values throughout the entire game. But the end result of what you do with those values diverges so wildly. It's like, how do we all have the same stuff and get this? You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I recommend it. Nice. Uh, you may want to look up Railroad Inc. as well, which I think is kind of a similar themed sort of idea. I have heard of that game, but I have not played it. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's an explosion of these roll and write games. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Sean Andrich, thank you so much for being here, man. I really love talking to you every time. I, I love talking to you guys. It's super fun. Oh, awesome. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you and all the various cool things you're doing uh well on twitter i am at sean andritz that's s-h-a-w-n-a-n-d-r-i-c-h um i am the co-founder of gamers with jobs we have a weekly podcast the gamers jobs conference call and recently uh a week or two ago we did this big charity drive donation for uh trans lifeline uh which is a helpline for transgender folk we raised like over seven thousand dollars it was it was amazing uh it was super fun jeff you helped get the word out for that which i really appreciate and one of the things we discovered doing that over streaming games for 24 hours is like, oh, we really like this. Like, it's really fun hanging out and streaming games with our community. So we're going to be doing more game streaming because we're just having such a blast with it. We've been playing Apex Legends. Um, you know, we'll be probably playing The Division 2 and a bunch of other stuff in the future. So you go to twitch.tv slash gamers with jobs and uh, you can check us out there as well. Very, very cool, man. Yeah. Also, some uh, some role playing game stuff, right? 
Uh, that's true. So I, I have a lot of plates spinning right now, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we're also very close to uh, launching a new website, uh, just kind of a spinoff from Gamers with Jobs called Story Roost, uh, which hosts uh, all of our past RPG podcasts, which are all these improv RPG uh, stories that we've done. They're all long form. Um, we've got three of those complete. Uh, we've got some like kind of like one-off radio plays and, and stuff that we've already done in the past. We've got a new one launching called Triumphred. Uh, we were hoping to get all 10 episodes like in the can and done uh, before we launched, but we're, we're about eight episodes in, uh, but we're going to launch before we're quite finished, which is cool. Uh, and the great thing is Jeff Kanata is actually in the first two episodes as Ooh. a guest NPC slash player. Yeah, um, and, uh, and, and, and the really nice thing about recording these way ahead of time is I can actually go and backfill production into them. So I actually, uh, my wife wrote a monologue for Jeff's character, which he then performed incredibly well. And then I got to build a whole scene with like Foley. I got Rob Davio in to like do a voice and build a whole scene around it. And so that's like going to be the opener for episode one. So Triumvirate episode one will be launching uh, probably within the next two weeks. So you can just keep an eye on my Twitter feed um, or keep an eye on gamersjobs.com and we'll let you know when that stuff is all live. Uh, but Jeff's in the first two episodes. He was great. It was so much fun. And, it was uh, a blast. It, I, it's a really I fun story. wait to hear how that came out because Sean's wife wrote like an all-time amazing monologue based on just like a throwaway uh, backstory thing that I said about my character. And she wrote it. it she literally, literally wrote poetry and it's incredible. And I had such a good time recording it and I just can't wait to hear how it all sounds. It's, it was a really good time. I love all those guys and uh, I'm, I'm so pleased to be a part of it. I can't wait to hear how it came out. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, Jeff, I'm sure you'll drop a link on your Twitter, too. I'm sure yes. most people are probably following you. So you, you can let them know I uh, when we get that up. And uh, yeah, so that'll be our new thing. And after that, we'll see what else Story Roost does. It's, uh, we're building a platform because we love telling stories. We love hanging out and creating stories together. So there's going to be lots of different kinds of mediums we're going to be doing that in. Um, so yeah, it's just, just cool. another one of those passion project things. I don't know if it's going to like go anywhere uh, or accomplish like huge world shaking things, but that's kind of how it is with most things, you know? <laughs> so uh, we're just going to build it and see if you guys uh, come along for the ride. It, it should be fun. It's awesome. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? I mean, nothing apparently, you know, it all sounded so cool. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter at Spicer and I stream this show on my Twitch once a week, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. Um, and Sean, that sounds awesome. You've built the pipes. You've done the Ubisoft. I've I've created the pipelines. That's yeah. all it is. Like all I've ever done is create playgrounds for people way more talented than me to thrive <laughs> in. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds awesome though. But yeah, that's it for me. Nothing, nothing really to chat about this week. Jeff, what about you? Well, I uh, do another podcast all about movies and video or video games, movies and TV shows called the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com. Uh, I think this week we're talking about uh, Lego Movie 2, which is phenomenal. You heard me talk about that last week on this show, uh, but we do an in-depth discussion of that and also about Russian Doll, which uh, is a crazy Netflix show. So check that out at SlashFilmCast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And if you want to email us here at this show for any reason, we love getting your feedback. We love getting your quick questions. We love getting anything that you'd like to mention or discuss about the show. DLC feedback at gmail.com is the 
email address for that. We hope to hear from you. But let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Sean, do you have a recommendation to help people get through their week? I do. It's, I don't know if I'm just trying to justify what I'm doing with my time and with my life. Um, but uh, my wife and I were just kind of like, ah, we should watch something. You know, we should wa- let's watch a movie. And we're just kind of like, ah, I don't want to watch any of this. Da, 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 da. We ended up watching Tom Cruise's Oblivion, which is a game, which is a movie that came out like back in 2013. 13, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. It's a Tom Cruise sci-fi movie that you probably forgot about completely. Um, The only reason I want to recommend it, not because it's like super good, it's not super good, but you're listening to this, you play video games. It is, we talk sometimes about video games starting to influence movies in different ways. Oblivion is just a video video game ass movie is what it is. Like when you watch, you're actually watching a scene and you're like, oh, this is the cutscene. Oh, this is the part where he gets into a ship. Oh, this is where then the gameplay happens. And then, oh, now we're in a cutscene again. You're just basically watching a Bioware movie. Like it's, it's so interesting to look at it through a video game lens. Oblivion is actually, it kind of redeems it. Because this there's some plot holes you could drive a spaceship through, but it's uh, it, it's it's a nice little sci-fi story. Uh, it plays with some interesting themes, and it's like very video gamey. It's it's kind of shocking. The, was this the movie that was first called Live Die Repeat? Or no, or that no, no movie? that that was Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Um, right, so this right, is right. this predates that even. Believe, Oblivion's believe like he's in white and is like um, yes, some, there's another star in it, it, he's, it, he's like in white in a sewer. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's got Morgan one of the Freeman women in who, it or a voice. Morgan in it Freeman or? in it. Um, one of the women who's like she's a. I know her best as like one of the bond. She was a Bond girl at one point. Um, uh, it's a very small cast, actually. Uh, it's it's in a, in a in a funny way. It's like there's actually not a lot of people. It's, it's not a big bombastic sci-fi story until some little climax moments. It's it's actually it kind of reads feels a bit like a, a like a bradbury short story huh. uh, in a way um but it's also just very video gamey it's i it it is i was surprised so that that's my parting gift with a question mark <laughs> i'm just shocked that tom cruise did an adaptation of an elder scrolls game that's uh, <laughs> man that would have been so good <laughs> Uh, Christian Spicer, what's your parting gift? You mentioned it last week, and you'll talk about it more on Slash Film, but uh, I took my two girls to see Lego Movie 2, the second part, uh, this yesterday as we're recording this. And as a parent with a six-plus and a three-and-three-quarter-year-old, they both loved it, absolutely loved it. My wife asked afterwards, like, how was the movie? Was it good? And my oldest said no. It was great. Um, <laughs> nice. Which is cool. She is she is her father's daughter. That's yeah, yeah. All I to say about that. Tiffany Haddish voices a character in the show. She's, I mean, she's huge and everywhere, but she's someone that I was fortunate to, enough to know and meet before she became big. And she was always very kind and fun and, and cool to talk to. Um, and it's fun now to have my daughters dancing to a song she sings. I really love seeing people that like I know, like when your friends do great. And Tiffany has been doing great for a while now, but nothing that like I could share with the family. And it's uh, it's really cool to have that moment where they're in the living room dancing to a Tiffany Haddish song, which is awesome. But the movie's really well done. And uh, to echo your sentiments, uh, go see it. It is excellent. 
We got a listener's suggested parting gift that was sent to us uh, from Brad. He sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com where you can send your parting gifts if you'd like to have them right on the show. He says, <clears throat> I just want to write in and suggest that people check out the TV show The Terror on AMC. It's about the Franklin expedition to map the Northwest Passage in the Arctic in 1845. The crew gets stuck in the ice, but that's the least of their problems. Because there's something out there, something not natural. If you like The Thing and like Master and Commander, you'll probably love this show. I do like The Thing and Master and Commander. So thank you, Brad. I have to check this out. I have not heard of The Terror. Uh, AMC, putting out good stuff. Have you guys heard of The Terror? Uh, it's on my list, actually. I Yeah, like The Thing, Master and Commander. If you watch the trailers, it totally evokes that. Um, and kind of thematically, if you're looking at tra- like I watched um, Taboo, which was oh man, why am I blanking on his name? He played Bane. Come on. Oh, uh, Tom Tom uh, Hardy. Thank you. Yes. So uh, Taboo is a Tom Hardy uh, short run TV series as well. Um, it has a similar vibe in a weird way. Very strange show, but I also really like that. Cool. Well, I will suggest as my parting gift uh, a TV show as well. This is a Netflix show, and it's season two of Friends from College. This is a show no one talks about. In fact, I think it got really bad reviews the first season when it came out, but I loved it. My wife and I really liked it a lot. Uh, it's it's full of awesome actors, and it is basically uh, very in my wheelhouse. I mean, it's people who were in college in the 90s like I was. And it's very 90s. The show is very 90s. It's the, like one of the best soundtracks of a TV show ever because it's all like old 90s songs, but not like the songs that, that people would just click on 90s and get. It's like the deep, deep cuts of the 90s, but stuff that I was listening to, it's so good. Um, but it's like Portishead, you know, like, like deep cuts. Uh, anyway, so the first season was all uh, – it's, it's kind of awful people, <laughs> people who are like cheating on their – spouses and stuff and i can understand being off put by that and a lot of people were mining comedy from kind of despicable behavior but season two really doesn't let them off the hook for that and uh i am i'm loving it i I, we finished it the other night it's not super long i think it's eight episodes half hour episodes so it's super quick uh but it is really funny i mean like side splitting like bending over at the waist laughing hard uh, at stuff, at awkward things, at dark things, but very funny. I, I recommend it. It's not on Netflix. It's called Friends from College. It's now in season two. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Sean Andrich and Christian Spice for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making the bumpers that you hear on the show. Uh, thanks to all the people hanging out in our chat room and making the show better in real time, commenting. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here with us. And thanks to all of you who download the show. We appreciate you very much. And we'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>